Turn your attention this morning to 1 Kings chapter 21. Glad you're here this morning. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord. 1 Kings chapter 21. We begin reading verse 1, a story that may be familiar to some of you, but we want to look at it from a little different perspective this morning. Oh, I feel the presence of God here. Hallelujah. I feel like there's miracles in the house of the Lord today. 1 Kings 21, and it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it's near unto my house. I want it. It's close by. and I want to have a garden of herbs, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or, if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. Naboth said, Ahab, the Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth, the Jezreelite, had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. King's upset. Can't get the vineyard he wants. Verse 5, but Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? He said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Dost thou not govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. It wasn't hers to give. That's how the enemy does. He tries to tell you he can give you stuff that he doesn't own. Verse 8, so she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. She had no authority. All she could do was just steal the king's authority. Sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in the city, dwelling with Naboth. She wrote in the letter saying, proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high among the people. And set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him, that he may die. And the, men of his, and the men of his city, even the elders and the nobles, who were the inhabitants of his city, did as Jezebel had sent unto them, and as it was written in the letters which she had sent unto them. They proclaimed a fast and set Naboth on high among the people, put him up in a, a high seat among all the others. And there came in two men after he was seated in this place of honor, position, power. Then they brought in two other men, children of Belial, children of deception, children of Satan, and sat before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. I want to speak this morning on this subject. You are in the wrong seat. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. Have you ever been told you were in the wrong seat? I have. 
There's been a couple of times I misread the little diagram on the airplane about which seat to sit in and somebody came down the aisle with a bunch of bags and stopped and looked at me and looked at their ticket and said, I think you're in the wrong seat. And I would have to fish around and find my ticket and look at it and sure enough I was uh, in the wrong seat. And of course you have to move to another seat if you're in the wrong seat. The way you find out if you're in the wrong seat is you have to check the script. Our script is the Word of God. The Word of God will tell us if we're in the wrong seat. I looked up the word seat in Scripture. It's found 53 times, read all 53 verses. Came to a conclusion that when man sat down, bad things happened. When we sit down, we relax, we get comfortable, we take a position of non-vigilance. We become vulnerable. As long as we stand, we're ready. We're prepared. You see these people that can stand all these hours, these uh, England, you know, the, the guards and, and Her Majesty that stand there and, and they're stoic and they look and they can't flinch. They stand. It's a position of being ready. It's a position of being vigilant. But when you sit down, you relax. And so throughout all of Scripture, there's there's this... Sitting down that caused trouble and uh, sort of a position of relaxing, lackadaisical. It's hard to be real prepared, to really be ready for war when you're, you know, stretched down in your lazy boy. And as, as long as Naboth stood his ground, which was standing for a principle that he wasn't going to sell his inheritance, he was okay and the vineyard that he owned, that was given to us by his forefathers, was, was his. And he stood his ground. And he was strong. He was ready. He was determined. But he fell for a trick that humanity often falls for. And that was, he took a seat. The wrong seat. As soon as he was given this seat of honor, he let down his guard. He relaxed. Nobody was coming at him with a sword. Two fellow companions come and join him after they've set him up this place on high. I'm not sure what the reasoning was in Naboth's head as to why he went along with this, but it didn't appear to be wrought with danger. It was just a seat, and it was a seat of honor, albeit false honor. The enemy is in the business of trying to do something in a way that is very deceptive and create what appears to be a blessing, but actually it is a trap. False praise is, is one that we often fall for. Even when we know it's false, we still like to hear it. Oh, you're just saying that. <laughs> Say it some more. <laughs> and then... As he is adjusting to this seat of honor, it's, these other companions come in, they sit next to him, and they begin to accuse him. And, and of course, this ended up uh, being his death. Um, I want to say this because I think it's important. Don't get comfortable with people who don't share your inheritance. They will brag on you and, and give you false praise. They'll puff you up where you get to feeling so good. You'll just sit down in your spirit and you relax and you let your guard down. And you lose sight of the fact that they have an agenda. And it's to get you to give up your beliefs. 
and give up your convictions and give up your identity and sell your vineyard that was given to you by your forefathers. Just because they're offering you a seat of honor does not mean that they honor you. It could be they're setting you up for an ambush. They appear to be something that they're not. And if you sit with them and you sup with them and you fellowship with them, they will end up killing you. But it's not just the seed of flattery uh, by false witnesses that can kill you. Um, there's also the seed of prosperity that's very deadly. Judges chapter 3 tells the story of Eglon, who was the king of Moab. And Eglon was linked up with the Amalekites and the Ammonites. And they came against the children of Israel because the children of Israel had backslid. And they were living immoral, evil lives. And when you give up righteousness, ladies and gentlemen, you strengthen the hand of the enemy. The enemy takes authority over us whenever we give up our position of righteousness and we begin to live a lifestyle of immorality. Unrighteousness weakens a nation. Unrighteousness weakens a church. Unrighteousness weakens a family. Unrighteousness weakens an individual. It doesn't matter what it is, you lose the high ground. And this is what's happening in America, even as we speak. Uh, we lose this position of authority and, and a position of uh, anointing whenever we uh, give up standing for the position of morality and righteousness. And this is what happened to the children of Israel. And so Eglon, who was a wicked king, king of Moab, he, has, he aligned himself with the Amorites and the Ammonites, and they... Uh, took over Israel, and they ruled the children of Israel for 18 years, and it was uh, a terrible reign. It was very harsh. And so the children of Israel began to pray and call out to God, and God heard their prayer and raised up a man by the name of Ehu. Now, Ehu was a man from the tribe of Benjamin, and he was left-handed. The Bible says he was left-handed. He made a two-edged dagger that was a cubit long. A cubit was the measurement from your fingertips to your elbow. That's a long dagger. And he took that dagger and he put it under his garment and he strapped it to his right thigh because he was left-handed. He was the first conceal and carry church security member. And Ehu had a team of men go with him and, and they went to the king of Moab and, uh, this Eglon guy, and they brought him the tribute, which was the money that they had to pay every year because he was their ruler. He had conquered them. And so they had all these men, and they bring in all these bags of coins and money and all of this, and Ehu is their leader. And then the Bible says that the, the king of Moab, Eglon, he was very fat. Now, I'm not saying this. The Bible is saying this. You just read the Bible. It says he was very fat, and he sat on his seat in the palace, and he didn't move around very much. He didn't get a whole lot of exercise. He had people run for him. He didn't have to move. All he had to do was point and, and give command. And that's what prosperity, that's what abundance will do for you. When I was in uh, Uganda a number of years ago, they told me that when they see a fat man, they know he's rich. Because that means he's got some mode of transportation. He's got a little scooter or motorcycle or maybe even if he's really rich, he's got a car. But he's not on foot like the vast majority of Uganda is. And so... They, they look at him and they will follow him because he's uh, wealthy and, and he's fat and, and he's got some uh, abundance somewhere that allowed him to get to uh, this position that he is in. Well, this was the king of Moab. He, he didn't really move around a lot. And when he did, he, he, uh, he had some sort of mode of transportation that carried him. He sat on this throne and got larger and larger 
by the day. And so Ehud then, after all this money's been given, he, he tells him to, uh, you know, I want to, I want to speak a private message to you, O king. And so, for whatever reason, the king felt safe and he'd just been given all this money. So he dismissed all of his staff, all of his security guards. He tells them all clear out of the throne room. And so they all go out and Ehud wants to give him a private message. And the Bible says that after all the staff was dismissed, that in a flash, this, this Ehud from his left hand, which was unusual, the left-handed warriors and soldiers were uh, the tribe of Benjamin. The Bible describes them. Many of them, they were left-handed. They were very effective because it came at them from an opposite direction back when they had a lot of hand-to-hand combat, that type of thing. And so he uh, very quick, before the king could even realize he was in trouble, he took this dagger out and plunged it into this fat king's stomach. All the way, the Bible says, all the way down the entire blade sank into his stomach all the way to the handle. And then the Bible says the fat closed up over it so that the entire dagger was invisible. It disappeared under his girth. And so it was down in his stomach and it was totally hid. And then the King James Version says that dirt came out. That's, I know this is gross, but just bear with me for a moment. His intestines released and he involuntarily discharged bile because of the position of this dagger. And he slumps over in his seat and, and Ehu walks over and locks the doors to the throne room and he slips out and escapes. And then the staff tries to come and, and uh, re-enter after a while to make sure the king's okay and it's locked. And so they think, and the Bible describes this in certain ways, but they think that he's uh, used the restroom. Of course, they don't have restrooms like we do now, but they thought he's relieved himself. And the way that the rich people did back then, they didn't go outdoors, it was indoors, and then servants carried out the bowls and buckets and all that. They thought that's what he was tending to, and so they waited, 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 waited. Finally, they said, you know, somebody find the key. They found the key, they got in there, and when they got in there, they went over to him. And perhaps it just looked like he was asleep at first, but as they got closer, uh, they could see that his garments were mixed with blood and excrement as his... His bowels had released and he had all of this on him. And you say, oh, that's so nasty, that's so ugly. But ladies and gentlemen, that is the world that we live in today. That is the seed of death. It is nasty and it is ugly and it is sickening. But people are overdosing on the culture that we live in today of excess. The culture of pleasure. They are dying from the inside out. Uh, The dagger of sin is hitting underneath their skin. Many people can't see it. You and I, we rub shoulders with people and we can't see the dagger that's in their stomach. They look normal on the outside, but there's a scar. There's a pain. There's something inside that is killing them from the inside out. And they are literally dying and we can't see it and we don't realize it. And it is painful and it is ugly and it is hurting. But the only way that you and I can get free from this is to realize that we're in the wrong seat. If we're just sitting in the seat of abundance, if we're just enjoying the prosperity of the land and we don't realize that until we get the dagger out of our own spirit, we will not make it. It's the seat of death. It is the seat of death. And then there's the seat of Criticism. Eli, the high priest, the Bible says in 1 Samuel that he sat upon a seat by a post of the temple. He criticized Hannah because she prayed earnestly for a child. He was the priest. He was in charge of the duties of the temple. But yet 
he had sat there so long he forgot what hungry people look like spiritually. And so Hannah is wanting a child and she's praying with all of her heart. And the Bible says that he marks her mouth. He thought she was drunk. It had been so long since he had seen somebody that was hungry for God that he forgot what that looked like. And so he was critical of her and yet he would not correct his own sons. The seed of criticism will lead to the seed of bitterness. If you criticize the work of the Holy Ghost, you will get bitter toward God and toward the church. And it's only a matter of time before you die spiritually. The Bible says that there was no open vision. There was no sight of the Lord. There was no light that the singers were just singing about. No one to illuminate the way. No one to speak a word of faith. The evil of his sons and the tolerance of the dead had created a toxic environment of spiritual decay. And the only thing that Eli had left was his seat. His posture of negativity. And he's sitting in that seat day in and day out. And if you and I are not careful, we don't even see everything that's wrong in our own lives. We don't even see what's wrong in our own family. All we want to do is sit in the seat of judgment and judge everybody else and criticize the church and criticize other people and criticize what God is doing. And the whole time we've got problems in our own house. Eli was sitting in the same seat when he got word that the ark of the Lord had been captured and he fell off of the seat and broke his neck. First Kings chapter four and verse 18. And it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that he fell from off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck break and he died for he's an old man and heavy and he had judged Israel 40 years. There's the problem. Too much city, too much judging the right things. And ignoring the wrong things. I said too much judging the right things and ignoring the wrong things. Oh, my friend, I know it's easy in our culture to allow things to just go that we know are wrong. And we watch a movie or we allow ourselves to ingest something and we know the words they're saying are wrong and the message is wrong, but it's making us laugh. And so we want to spend time with our kids and our kids enjoy it. And we just allow and we tolerate things to build up. And we don't realize that we're sitting in this seat. And then when we come to the house of God, we want to be critical about something. Somebody who's just got saved and wants to run the aisles and wants to wave a handkerchief. And because you've been sitting and watching the world so long, you become critical of somebody that's got a desire for God. I say to Eastwood, it's time we change seats and get in a posture of praise and worship and thanksgiving. Perhaps the most deadly of them all is the seat of judgment. That great collection of prayers and praise in scripture called Psalms begins with the most powerful of words. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Oh, my friend, you're in the wrong seat. You are sitting in the seat of the scornful. Another translation says the company of mockers. You've been sitting in church so long, it's easy to make fun and, and be, uh, it'd be a mockery of everything that's going on. It's the seat of the scornful. 
It's the seat of a critic. It's going to judge everything that's going on. Judge every song that's being sung. Judge every testimony, everything that everybody else is doing. It's the company of mockers. It is a place of judgment. And ladies and gentlemen, it is the seat of death. I said it is the seat of death. When you set yourself up as God, you are sitting in His seat. You're not only in the wrong seat, you're stealing a seat that belongs to God. And perhaps it's not intentional. Maybe it's it's just something that you've accidentally stumbled into because you didn't read the diagram correctly. And so you're sitting in uh, the seat that does not belong to you. It belongs to God. And the Bible says a lot about this seat, especially in the New Testament. It's the seat that's most commonly referred to in the New Testament is the seat of judgment. And it's the most egregious because it involves a theft. We are stealing. Stealing from God when we sit in the seat of judgment. And Ezekiel warned about this before we ever get to the New Testament. When you read Ezekiel 28, it starts in verse 1. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a dangerous place to get. I don't care what your background is. I don't care if you're raised in a holiness movement or you've been in church all of your life if you and I get to a place where we're sitting in the seat of judgment and condemning other people and sending them to hell you are taking the place of God you are not in the right posture and it will eventually kill you he said I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas yet thou art a man and not God though thou set thine heart as the heart of God Behold, thou art wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that they can hide from thee. With thy wisdom and with thine understanding, thou hast gotten thee riches, and hast gotten gold and silver into thy treasures. By thy great wisdom and by thy traffic hast thou increased thine riches. We think sometimes, I see this because I've traveled to a lot of countries, and we think sometimes because we're America, and because we're blessed, and we have abundance, that somehow we're superior to the rest of the world. And we go to third world countries, and we see people that are they're dealing with famine, and they're dealing with sickness, and they're dealing with lack of education, and somehow we think that we're better than everybody else because we have been blessed. Ladies and gentlemen, just because you have talent does not make you special. It just means you've been blessed. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Every good gift cometh down from the Father of lights. You're not special and I'm not special and we're not special as a nation. It's just that God has been good to us. Oh, when I think of the goodness of Jesus, it doesn't give me a right to be judgmental of other people. It just gives me a right to be thankful. What a great God we serve. He says, by thy, it's, built, it's Bible, by thy great wisdom and by thy traffic hast thou increased thy riches and thine heart is lifted up because of thy riches. We feel like because, and you may not feel rich, but compared to the rest of the world, you're extremely wealthy. And we feel like because of that, that somehow we're in some elevated position. There's a warning that's going to the children of Israel through the prophet in the Old Testament. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast set thine heart as the heart of God... Behold, therefore, I will bring strangers upon thee, the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of thy wisdom, 
and shall defile thy brightness. We have been blessed as Pentecostals. We have sat in heavenly places. But if we sacrifice that seating in heavenly places to be in in the seat of judgment, we will lose what God has blessed us with. When Jesus then begins to teach in the New Testament, he addresses this in Matthew 23, verse 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They're in the wrong seat. They decided that they're going to sit in Moses' seat. That was the seat of judgment. And in the Old Testament, before Christ, before Calvary, before the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, under the law, it was not considered a negative because the law had to be followed, so it had to be judged. Much like if, a, if you take a test in a school, then somebody has to grade it because there's a test and, and you've taken the test and somebody has to describe it. That's why Paul describes in Roman, he talks about the law as our schoolmaster. So Moses was given the grace and the wisdom of God to judge according to the law. But in the New Testament, Jesus starts to teach about the fallacy of the Pharisees putting themselves in this seat and that's one reason why they hated him so much was because he was messing with their seat it amazes me how people will destroy others to protect their seat to protect their position it amazes me what people will do in politics to protect their seat to protect their position we'll kill and assassinate characters of other people to protect our seat ladies and gentlemen we're not immune to it just because we're Pentecostal we're still dealing with flesh and if we're not careful we will kill and assassinate other people to protect our position This is one reason why they hated him so much. This is why they, they railed against Christ, because he was messing with their seat. Romans chapter 14 and verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand. Everybody say, stand. We all shall stand. It doesn't say we get to sit there. We get to stand before what? The judgment seat of Christ. That's his seat. That's not your seat. And that's not my seat. Even as the pastor of Eastwood, I don't feel like I'm in a position to be able to say whether or not a person is going to heaven or hell. All I can do is preach the word of God and tell you what the Bible says. But ultimately, there's only one that sits upon the throne. There's only, there's only one that's worthy. And it's not you and it's not me. But his name is Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You see that? It's his seat. If you get in that, you're in the wrong seat. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So it appears when you study the judgment seat that belongs to Christ, not us. If we assume that role, we steal what belongs to God. So we have to find the right seat. The first thing that happens when someone, I'm using an airplane, it can be in any situation, but when they tell you you're in the wrong seat, once you and I acknowledge that, and that sometimes is a chore, because we don't want to be told we're in the wrong seat. So once we acknowledge that we're in the wrong seat, what's the next thing you do? Where's the right seat? So where is the right seat? We can't sit in the, the seat of false praise and 
We can't sit in the seat of criticism and negativism. We can't sit in the, in the seat of the scornful. We, we can't just sit in the seat of abundance and prosperity and, and, and get fat and die spiritually. We can't sit in the seat of judgment and judging other people. All of those are the wrong seats for the church to sit in, for you and I as New Testament born-again believers to sit in. So what is the right seat? Got to look at the script. We see in Genesis that when the ark is constructed, it's given very precise instructions. It's got to be a certain dimension and a certain width. And there's got to be certain things inside. There's the pot of manna and, there's the, and there is, is the Aaron's rod that budded, which represented the power of God to do the miraculous. And the, and the pot of manna was God's provision as he provided for the children of Israel in the wilderness. And then there's the tables of stone, which was the law, and that's the word of God. And then he gives them dimensions of what can happen. And then he says, we're going to build this tabernacle in the wilderness and badger skins and all the different sizes. And yet when you see the tabernacle you'll see there was no seat there was the labor of water and there was the altar and then as you went in there was the table of showbread and, and another altar of incense which represented prayer and there was the, the, the light of the uh, golden candlesticks and then besides that was the holy of holies so you went and you looked at all that there was no seat why because seat it signifies completion when you look in the word of God and you see when God sits down it's finished but with man, man's got to keep standing because we got to keep moving. We got a job to do. So if we just sit down and get at ease and sign is when we get in trouble. And so the ark represented that. But oh, when you got past the Holy of Holies, you couldn't just wander in there. In fact, God even told Moses, you need to tell Aaron, your brother, to get out of there because he's camping out in there. And so he gave specific instructions and only once a year could they go into the Holy of Holies. And they went in there with sin in their life. It didn't work. But when you got in there... There was this Ark of the Covenant, the representation of the presence of God and all these cherubs and these things that were inside and the gold overlaid in all the perfect dimensions. But on the top, everybody say the top. On the top of it all was the seat of mercy. Woo! Hallelujah! I'm thinking, Lord, that must be the right seat because it was designed by you. That that represented your presence was topped with mercy. So he's, Exodus 26, 34 says, And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And then God says, when you read Exodus chapter 30 and verse 6, And thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, on top of all that's inside of it is mercy. And it's a seat. It's a place where you can abide. It's a place where you can linger. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the mercy of God. That even in the Old Testament, he was saying, on top of everything that represents my presence and my glory is a seat of mercy. Mm. And this is what gets me excited. By the Ark of the Testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. Ladies and gentlemen, this is where deity meets humanity. It's not in the judgment seat. It's not in the seat of abundance and excess. It's not in the seat of false flattery. Oh, no, my friend. The Lord said, this is a seat where I can meet with you. This is a place where you and I can come together. If you want to be like God, you got to get more mercy in your life. you got to stand up and get out of the seat of judgment and find the seat of mercy and say, God, this is where I feel you. This is where I draw close to you. This is where your presence abides. 
Jesus. This is a place where we can come together. And he goes on and says later, the more merciful that you are to others, the more merciful that I will be to you. Early in the ministry of Jesus, he starts making it clear where we need to sit. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down. Everybody say sit down. Ooh, he's got a place. He's got the right seat for me. Where is it, Lord? Shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Not the sons of Belial. I wonder sometimes if we sit too often with the sons of Belial. People that hate Christianity. People that give millions of dollars to try to shut churches down. And you sit with rap attention and give them your mind. And then complain if a church service goes longer than an hour. Oh, my friend, you're sitting in the wrong seat. The sons of Belial will accuse you. They're not on your side. They may entertain you and make you laugh and make you feel special. But when it's all said and done, you've sold your vineyard. But oh, there's a seat. There's a place where you can sit with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. If you're going to sit down, you ought to at least sit down with God's people. If you're going to sit down... You ought to sit down among people, hallelujah, that know there's power in the name of Jesus. Sit among the righteous. Relax among the righteous. Be vulnerable with those that are on the Lord's side. If you're going to sit, sit with godly company. Hey, it doesn't mean we're perfect. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob wasn't perfect. And I know that's in heaven, but there's a principle behind it. We're not perfect people. There's some Abrahams here and Isaacs and Jacobs and, and all of us. And we can tell you stories and, and so forth and so on. But oh, we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We've been to the mercy seat. We know what it is to have God extend the scepter and say, I love you in spite of all your mistakes, in spite of all your faults. And you've been so thankful. You said, ah, oh, like David, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Why? There's a seat for me among the chosen there's a seat for me there's a place where I belong it's with the children of God it's with the worshipers of God don't let the enemy talk you out of being in the presence of God the enemy will try to convince you oh you've made mistakes this week you've lost your temper you yelled at people traffic you you really if you go down there to that church lift up your hands worship God you'll be a hypocrite just stay over here with the sons of Belial they accept you for who you are that's not where my seat is my seat is at the table with Abraham Isaac and Jacob Oh, I want to get with somebody that'll talk about how the Lord made a way 
where there seemed to be no way. Oh, I can feel the Holy Ghost over a hamburger at Denny's if somebody will talk about the goodness of the Lord. Come on, Abraham, tell me, what was it like when you left Ur the Chaldee? Oh, I didn't know if I was going to make it. I didn't know where I was going. But the Lord was with me every step of the way. Oh, come on, Isaac, what was it like after your dad died? And the Philistines filled up all the wells with dirt, and they tried to stop you. Oh, he said, I got to tell you, the Lord was on my side. If it had not been for him, the Lord made a way. And we dug all the dirt out of the wells, and God began to bless. Jacob, what was it like? You were a person of deception and you tried to steal your brother's birthright and you wandered out on your own oh yeah but when I made a pillow out of a rock I had a dream and there was a stairs and God's angels were coming out and God said that if I would be his he would be mine if I would make him my God I would be his child Come on, old timer. Come on, apostolic. Tell me about what God did in 1940. Tell me what it was like in the Brush Harbor Day. I want to sit by you. Matthew 15:35. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. Oh, another seat's being prepared. And he took the seven loaves and the fishes and gave thanks and break them and gave to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up of the broken meat that was left. Seven baskets full. Where are you going to sit, my friend? What about if we sit at the feet of Jesus? What if we sit in the midst of the miraculous? Because that's the place of real plenty. That's a place of the teaching of the word of God. Oh, I remember as a kid singing that song. He has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. Come and dine, the master calleth. Come and die, the master calleth. I want to add another verse to that song. He's got a seat prepared for me at the table. (laughs) It's a place where I can see that God is still working. If I just stay home and criticize, if I just stay on the perimeter and find something to be negative about, there's always plenty of seats in the cheap seats of criticism in the arena of do nothing. But it's the guy that gets on the field and says, hey, wait a second, I'm not going to die in a posture of being passive. I'm going to get in the action. I'm going to get the sword of the spirit. I'm going to shod my feet with the preparation of peace. I'm going to put on the helmet of salvation and I'm going to be a part of what God is doing. You're going to sit, sit in a service, sit where you can be fed. Sit where the Lord is working. man from Ethiopia was hungry for truth. He'd gone to Jerusalem to worship. He needed someone to explain who the Messiah was. Book of Acts tells the story. He was returning home. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah because he was hungry. He needed somebody full of the Holy Ghost to sit with him and explain the scriptures. 
Acts 8.31, and he said, how can I accept some man should guide me? Because Philip, the Lord just transported him out there to the Gaza Strip where they're firing rockets right now. <laughs> Took him out of a red-hot revival in Samaria. Put him down over there because a hungry heart needed somebody to sit with him. Woo! Hallelujah. He said, you understand what you're reading? How can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Oh, my friend, sit in the seat of soul winning. Sit in the seat of teaching a home Bible study. Mm. We need more than just fellowship. We need somebody that will open up the word of God. <laughs> you can get fellowship at the Shriners. You can get fellowship in the, all kinds of societal meetings and groups. But there's only one thing that will set you free. It is the word of God. Come on, we need some apostolics full of the Holy Ghost. You're not so busy. That you can't sit down with somebody that's hungry and begin to tell them what thus saith the word of God. Jesus Christ is the answer. Oh, you want to repent of your sins? I've got news for you. If you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. If you go down in the water in the name of Jesus Christ, you're going to come up a new creature in Christ Jesus. You're going to be filled with the Spirit of God. Come on, apostolic, sit in the seat of soul winning. Luke chapter 20 and verse 42, and David himself saith in the book of Psalms, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Sit on the right hand of God. What is the right hand of God? It's a place of power and authority and glory. There's so many things in this life that can make you feel helpless, powerless. But God is in the business of empowering people. If we can get in the right posture. That's why throughout the word, when people came to that place in their life where it looked like their journey was over, the Lord revealed to them a seat in glory. Stephen, a young preacher, just standing for righteousness. Preaching with zeal, not politically correct, not saying all the right things to make their ears feel fuzzy and warm, but saying, you crucified him and you hung him on a tree. The Bible said they got so mad, they screamed and held their ears with their hands. This young preacher of righteousness is killing us! Standing for truth. And they pick up rocks and they start to throw them. Boulders hitting him. Knocking him to the ground. Climbing back up on his feet. Wobbling out. Still trying to preach. And more boulders and stones. As people with hate and vengeance. Throwing rocks. Trying to kill him. Trying to stop his voice. And he gets knocked to the ground. He can't hardly focus. He feels life slipping out of him as more rocks are crashing down upon him. 
And there's no angry and the mob mentality and the fury of it all is trying to snuff out his life and stop his mouth. He looks up into heaven. And the Lord shows him. I got a seat for you. Mm, I got a place of victory for you. He said, I see Jesus. He's sitting on the right hand of God. Not two different beings. Not a great big God with a great big palm and holding up a little miniature Jesus. No. He said, I see a position of power and a position of authority and a position of victory. It was the Lord saying to Stephen, I have finished the course, but it's not over yet, Stephen. I've got a place prepared for you that where I am there, ye may be also. He doesn't only give you power when He forgives you of your sins. He not only gives you authority when you're baptized in the name of Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, He gives you a place of glory. A place of anointing. Revelation 3.21 To Him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in His throne. You know what He's saying? To everybody that overcomes, to everybody that can withstand adversity, to everybody that says, I believe in Your Word and my faith is strong. There is a seat for us. There is a place for us. place of glory it's a place of triumph it's a place of victory sit in glory sit in the winner's circle sit in the place of overcoming I'm going to get up out of the seat of judgment and I'm going to move to the seat of mercy and I'm going to stay at the feet of Jesus And I'm going to tell other people about the goodness of the Lord. And I'm going to allow the Lord to elevate me, not because of who I am, but because of who He is. And I'm not going to live this life as a powerless sinner that cannot overcome sin, but keeps finding my way back, as the Bible says, a dog to its vomit. I'm not going to keep going back to all of the grime and all of the pain and the despair of this culture and live with a dagger in my spirit because of a wounded heart. I'm going to stand up on my feet and say, this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to find mercy. I'm going to find hope. I'm going to find love. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to get that power back. That power to live above sin. That power to find joy in the midst of a crisis. That power to say, I will bless the Lord at all times. It's not because of my own strength. It's because God has a place for an overcomer. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Mm. Oh, the Holy Ghost is moving. Come on, there's a seat of triumph. There's a seat of glory. 
There's a place he's prepared for you. Come and dine. Come and dine. Lord, we stand before you right now. Not because of our own audacity. Because of our obedience. But you told us we can come boldly into the throne room of grace. Find help in a time of need. We need you today, God. You blessed us. We've sat on the seat of plenty. We've sat in the seat of abundance. We've sat in the seat of false praise. We've gone through the motions. We've sat in the seat of judgment. We've sat in the seat. feel like we've earned enough tenure we're entitled to a move of God today God I feel like you're moving us to another seat you're moving us to a place of thanksgiving moving us Lord to a place of glory and power You've taken us back to the mercy seat, oh God. Where we first found you. I'm asking you, Lord, today that you would give your people courage. Change their posture. Move to a new location. Find another seat. A seat that's closer to you seat that is in the midst of the miraculous I wonder this morning I feel the Holy Ghost just leading us in a very special way and I wonder by you stepping out of where you're standing and coming to this altar that you are literally saying today I want to change seats I know we're using this metaphorically. When we talk about changing seats, we're talking about spiritually speaking. Move into a place of consecration and dedication. Move into a place of power and obedience. And saying, Lord, I'm ready to change seats. I'm ready to come into a place that exalts you. place that allows me to be closer to your character if you feel like that relates to you today I want to ask you to just step out from where you're standing and if you would just come and, and stand down in this altar I need your mercy, Lord. I acknowledge I need your mercy. I can't save myself, God. 
I need you, Lord. His calling, His grace will be a covering. His beloved, it will provide the Jesus. Oh. oh, yes. Come running. Come running. Come running. Here I come, God. I'm coming to your mercy seat. His grace will be I'm not entitled to it, God. But I'm hungry for it, Lord. Yes, Lord. In the name of Jesus. I can't testimony. 